Today on the Matt Wall Show, heading into Election Day, Democrats have grown desperate in their attempts to deflect on the crime issue. Also, a big update on our efforts to ban gender transitions of minors in the state of Tennessee. Trump launches an attack on Ron DeSantis two days before the election. Elon Musk continues to unveil his vision for Twitter going forward, and I have some questions. And SNL starts making the COVID jokes they should have been making two years ago. All of that and more today on the Matt Walsh Show. You know, I'm not a gym person. I'm a dad of four, soon to be six. I don't spend hours at the gym after work. I go home to my wife and my kids. I like Echelon Fitness because it brings the gym home to me. Echelon Fitness is the affordable way to get workout equipment, a workout community, and an instructor's motivation right in the comfort and privacy of your own home. Echelon Fitness's connected app provides thousands of live and on-demand classes with great music to keep you moving. You can work out anytime, day or night. Their full range of affordable workout equipment includes stationary bikes, smart rowers, sleek fitness screens, and an auto-folding treadmill. These are all connected to the Echelon Fitness app for the full experience around the clock. Uh, classes, including full body workout programs, will keep you coming back. One membership covers a family of five. And for a limited time, my audience can get a free bike or rowing machine with a 24-month membership. To get your free bike or rower, text MATT to 818181. That's MATT to 818181. To claim your free bike or rowing machine, text MATT to 818181. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. Well, I'm not sure if you can really call it election day, considering that the votes will be neither cast nor counted in their entirety tomorrow. But whatever we call it, the point is that theoretically, the voters will make their choice. And theoretically, we will find out what that choice is. And if the red wave materializes, as many have uh, forecasted, it will no doubt have a lot to do with the flagging economy and sky-high inflation. At least we think there is sky-high inflation. As Joy Reid points out, we're all just a bunch of dumb hicks, though, and inflation is the first multi-syllabic word we've ever learned. So who knows? The only people I ever heard here use the word inflation are journalists um, and economists, right? So that is not part of the normal lexicon of the way people talk. So it's interesting that Republicans are doing something they don't normally do, right? Which is not use the, com the common tongue, right? Not use just common English to sort of use do on their campaigns like they're doing with crime. But what they've done is they've taught people the word inflation, right? Yeah. Most people who would have never used that word ever in their lives are using it now because they've been taught it, including on TV, including in newspapers. They've been taught this word, and they, they sort of wrap this word around whatever it is that they really want to vote, the, the, you know, the reasons they really want to vote. Yes, who but an economist has ever used the word inflation when discussing the economy? For that matter, who's ever used the word economy or money or financial. You know, I don't know what any of these words mean personally. Prior to all this Republican propagandizing, I communicated my opinion on financial matters through a series of grunts and frantic hand gestures. But if that argument from Joy Reid seems utterly desperate and absurd, it is still downright credible compared to the last-ditch Democrat efforts to change the narrative on crime. Now, perhaps even before the economy, or at least very closely behind it, the crime problem will be a leading factor driving voter turnout on Tuesday. It's too late for Democrats to do anything about crime itself. They have no interest in doing anything about it anyway, nor would they know what to do even if they wanted to do something about it. Instead, at the 11th hour, they're looking for a way to reframe the conversation. Briefly last week, it seemed that they would go into the election with the counterintuitive narrative that, in fact, it is Republicans who are weak on crime, not Democrats. 
This claim was made by many people on the left, but typified by Gavin Newsom on NBC last week. Let's listen to that. But we have a messaging problem. I really believe it. And you can argue, all right, what are we doing on comprehensive immigration reform? What are we doing on a number of other issues? I'm not going to deny the substantive challenges our party has as well, addressing those tough and vexing issues. It's not just a messaging problem, but a messaging problem that has persisted with our party for years and years, constantly on the defense. We allow these culture wars to take shape, and we consistently are on the back end of them. Eight of the top 10 states with the highest murder rates, all are Republican states. How do Democrats not know that? In fact, it's really nine out of 10. Georgia went for Biden, but it's really a Republican state, or at least a red state. Eight out of 10. And we're losing that message? Crime is higher, as well as taxes here for the average uh, citizen in Texas. It's higher crime, higher violent crime and poverty crimes than in the state of California. 67% higher gun death rate in Texas. Why don't we push back? Why are we well, why don't why, why, why don't we? I do don't know. You know, speaking of terms nobody ever used before, I've heard people say inflation. But there's a reason why, until just now, nobody ever talked about a state's murder rate. You know, no one ever said, don't go to Indiana. That state has a high murder rate. That's because the murder or violent crime rate of an entire state is a useless statistic. What matters are the crime statistics in individual cities and localities. So a person who lives on five acres of land in the wealthy rural town of Bel Air, Maryland, does not in any meaningful sense share a murder rate with somebody living an hour away in West Baltimore. Maryland is not an unsafe state, but Baltimore is an unsafe city. City, neither is Texas. You know, there are no states that are in their entirety unsafe. But cities can be unsafe. Cities can be crime-ridden, murder-plagued, drug-infested wastelands. And it just so happens that nearly all of those cities are run by Democrats. In fact, out of the 30 cities with the highest murder rates, all but three are run by the Democrat Party. So if a red state has a crime problem, it's only because of the blue cities within those states. Missouri is a perfect example. There are plenty of nice areas in Missouri. Well, some anyway. I, you know, I've been hiking in some parts of the, some, some of the state parks there. As a state, though, it also has one of the highest murder rates in the country. But that is driven almost entirely by St. Louis and Kansas City, which are both run by Democrats. You'll find the same pattern in every red state. My state of Tennessee has a spike in crime rate, thanks largely to the efforts of Memphis, which is run by a Democrat. Birmingham is having a similar effect on the state of Alabama, and the list goes on. There is no red state crime problem. There is a blue city crime problem, as even the most cursory glance at the data shows. And that might be why the left has shifted gears in the closing days of the campaign season, from acknowledging the crime wave but blaming it on Republicans to once again denying that it's happening at all. This is all the fault of Republicans. Also, it's not happening, they argue, which is a radical departure from their usual argument, which is this isn't happening and also it's the fault of Republicans. So over on NBC, Lester Halt blamed the fear, the fear over crime on videos and startling headlines, but warns that, quote, crime isn't always what it appears to be. As candidates fine-tune their closing messages ahead of Tuesday's vote, an issue finding traction for many campaigns is voter worries about crime. But as we found, the state of crime in America is not always what it appears to be. 
Tonight, fear is on the ballot. Crime now the centerpiece of campaigns across the country. Vote like your life depends on it. Because it does. Fueled, some argue, not by reality, but by videos of rampant lawlessness. They smashed glass display cases, filled their bags with jewelry, then took off. And some unsettling headlines. Unsettling headlines. Perhaps this is what Kathy Hochul in uh, New York meant last week when she said that violent crime epidemic, it's a conspiracy theory. And just in time, Pew Research Center put out a report claiming that, in fact, violent crime rates are falling. The report's been championed by uh, many journalists, including faux journalist hack Judd Lagoom, who tweeted a screenshot of one chart from the report with the caption, America's violent crime wave is a hoax. Over the last 30 years, violent crime is down dramatically, and there's no recent increase. Don't believe your lying eyes, Judd says. There is no crime wave. Indeed, if you are currently being beaten over the head by a meth-crazed homeless man on the subway, take solace in the knowledge that what is happening to you is a hoax, a conspiracy theory. There's a reason why Judd didn't actually provide a link to the report itself. Because if he had, he would, have, uh, he would, have, he would find that the single paragraph that seemingly supports the hoax claim, and this is what it says, there's one paragraph, and it says, for each of the four violent crime types tracked in the survey, simple assault, aggravated assault, robbery, and rape slash sexual assault, there was no statistically significant increase either in 2020 or 2021. So that's, that's it right there. But, you know, there are a lot more paragraphs in the report. So you read a few more paragraphs down and you find this. The most recent version of the FBI study shows no rise in the national violent crime rate between 2020 and 2021. That said, there is considerable uncertainty around the FBI's figures for 2021 because of a transition to a new data collection system. The FBI reported an increase in violent crime rate between 2019 and 2020 when the previous data collection system was still in place. Ah, so there you have it. Violent crime was increasing until the FBI changed its data collection system, at which point it magically fell. How did that happen? Well, because nearly 40% of the nation's law enforcement agencies didn't submit their crime data in 2021 at all. That includes the NYPD, the LAPD. So New York City and Los Angeles were erased from the national violent crime statistics, along with hundreds of other cities. And what do you know, just like that, the national violent crime rate goes down. So if you pretend that Los Angeles and New York and a lot of other cities with a lot of crime don't exist, then the crime rate goes down. You may have noticed another problem, though, because the FBI's violent crime statistics, the ones that the media uses to debunk the crime wave hoax, quote unquote, those stats don't include homicides. The worst form of violent crime, the thing that everyone principally has in mind when they talk about violent crime, isn't factored in. That's what led to this unintentionally hilarious tweet from journalist Mona Charon over the bulwark. She wrote, other than murder, violent crime is not up. Did you know that? Violent crime is a key midterm voting issue. But what does the data say? Other than murder. That's like your doctor telling you, well, other than the malignant tumor on your brain, you're, you're in quite good health. God help any beachgoers if Mona is ever the lifeguard on duty. Yeah, that guy over there seems to be drowning. But other than that, I think he's okay. Or imagine Mona as the, the uh, investigator interviewing the lone survivor of an airplane crash. So other than the whole crash thing, how was the flight? 
I mean, the absurdity is, is obvious. You can't make an exception for murder when talking about violent crime any more than you can make an exception for smoke inhalation when talking about the dangers of a house fire. And as for murder, those rates are dramatically up. Nationwide, murders have increased 30% and are the highest they've been in over three decades. Homicide rates have indeed risen exponentially at a rate rarely seen in American history. So the crime wave is not a hoax. It's not a figment of your imagination. It is real. It is, in fact, all too real. So believe your own eyes and also your common sense. And vote accordingly tomorrow. Now let's get to our five headlines. You know, I love spending the holidays with my family, and one of the ways that I like to do that is with delicious meat from Good Ranchers. As a special gift to my listeners this holiday season, Good Ranchers is giving away two Black Angus New York strip steaks free with your order. There are two uh, 12-ounce steakhouse quality cuts, a $70 value for free. Black Angus uh, tastes better and is more tender than any other beef. Black Angus meat is marbled in such a way that the fat is distributed thinly and evenly. This marbling gives you a, a consistent flavor that you don't get with other meats. Plus, the Black Angus from Good Ranchers is hand-cut and trimmed by expert butchers, so you know every piece is going to be exquisite. While grocery store meat prices are on the rise, Good Ranchers is dedicated to helping you save as much as possible. If you subscribe to Good Ranchers today, you can lock in your price and avoid those insanely high prices at the grocery store and get some free meat while you're at it so it's the best of all possible worlds. Go to GoodRanchers.com Walsh. Use code Walsh to check out for this special offer. That's GoodRanchers.com Walsh for two Black Angus New York strip steaks free with your order. All right, one thing I want to mention just off the top here, and there'll be a lot more deta- uh, details about this in the coming days, but um, I was just yesterday shown a draft of the legislation in this state that's going to ban, quote, gender transition procedures for minors in Tennessee. Uh, so drugging and mutilating children will be banned. And also, I can tell you, and again, I can't get into all the specifics, but uh, victims of these procedures will be given the chance to seek compensation, which is a really, really important part of this. Um, and that's all going to happen. That, that uh, legislation will be introduced on November 9th. So the day right after the election, the legislation will be, will be uh, officially submitted, rather. And, and we're going to, we'll, we'll talk a lot more about it when it's officially submitted and we have the text of it. But um, we are going to make this illegal in the state. So this is not just, you know, we had, we've had the rally, we've raised awareness, we've talked a lot about it. Um, we've, you know, we've done all that. We've done the activism, the awareness raising, all that's an important part. But you got to follow that up with the law. You know, you got to pass the laws too. And we're going to do that in this state. And, uh, and it's not going to stop here. As I've been saying all along, this is a national movement. You know, you, you might recall a few months ago, it was right when we got when we got back to uh, Tennessee after spending you know a week in our undisclosed location on uh, rather a month on, on vacation. I got back here. We had the new studio, and I said that we are going to start a nationwide movement to put an end to this, the abuse of children, the indoctrination of children into gender ideology. We're going to put a stop to it, and it has begun. So more to come on that. Um, as discussed. 
Democrats are likely headed for a trouncing. Stacey Abrams in particular is in really bad shape. She's down by, I think the last poll I saw was like eight points, which is terrible, especially for an incumbent, given that she is currently the governor of Georgia, or at least she, she thinks that she is. And she still will be after she loses, obviously. But the Democrats are setting up the excuses now for when she, and she's their, their star, right? Their, uh, their main attraction, and she's going to lose. So Keisha Lance Bottoms is the failed former mayor of Atlanta, now Biden lackey. And she says that misinformation is to blame for this. Listen. Mayor Bottoms, I picked up on that because I'm just wondering, Her Stacey Abrams' focus on the misinformation that's being targeted at black men. And it makes me wonder, is she not getting the black support she needs in her race against Brian Kemp? Listen, Jonathan, I, I think that Stacey is spot on with that. I listen uh, as my kids watch NBA highlights and whatever else they watch on YouTube. I hear the misinformation being piped in. My 12-year-old, my 14-year-old son, my 20-year-old is getting it. So there is definitely um, a target toward African-American men. Oh, yes. Uh, well, we all know all of that right-wing propaganda during a, an NBA broadcast. Oh, yeah. It, 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 like, infamously, NBA broadcasts are a place where uh, they engage in all kind of uh, Republican, you know, all, all these Republican talking points coming out of NBA broadcasts, she says. So that's the narrative now. Um, and the narratives are just getting more and more ridiculous as we go on. So the narrative now is that black men will not vote for Stacey Abrams because the right wing propagandists during NBA broadcasts have told them not to. That's the universe that the Democrats want us all to pretend we're living in. And Stacey Abrams has, of course, as, as uh, referenced there, has echoed this herself. And uh, you know that, you know your campaign's not doing well when in, you know, three days, four, three or four days before the election, you're, you're publicly making excuses ahead of time for why you're going to lose. And that was her excuse. Let's listen. We have seen record turnout. Black men have increased their participation rates by 52 percent over 2018. And I do not believe it's because of a deep well of enthusiasm for my opponent. We know that black voters are often discounted. And unfortunately, this year, black men have been a very targeted population for misinformation, not misinformation about what they want, but about why they want what they deserve. And my campaign has been the only one that has very intentionally, thoughtfully and consistently reached out. That has been misconstrued as concern when it indeed is just respect misinformation about why they want what they deserve. What? I don't, I don't even know how to interpret that. That's just nonsense. But if I were to attempt to, to, to interpret it, she's talking about misinformation. So like black men are misinterpreting their own desires, their own electoral wishes um, about, about why they want what they want. They're misinterpreting that because of misinformation. They think they don't want Stacey Abrams, but that's only because they're the victims of misinformation. She's saying, if you don't like me, it's because you, because of uh, misinformation could be the only reason. Meanwhile, why is she really losing? Well, because first of all, there's nothing appealing about her whatsoever. She, she is a creation of the left-wing media. They selected her. 
And they selected her entirely on victim points. This is an affirmative action case all the way. She, she is not, and, and I know that obviously I'm biased because I'm not on the left, but, but even so, she, she has no, so I'm not, I'm not factoring in politics or ideology. Obviously, I disagree with her on that. Just looking from a, from, you know, purely, from a, a purely marketing standpoint, okay? She's not compelling. She doesn't have any charisma. I mean, there, there are some politicians on the left who I can't stand them or anything they stand for, but they do have some political talent. She doesn't have any at all. But based entirely on the victim points, she's a female, she's black, she's also overweight, that helps. I think there's an argument to be made that if she was in better shape, she wouldn't be in the, in the spot that she's in. They wouldn't have selected her. But that gives her another victim point. And so they've taken her and they've, and they've just said to the public, she's a star. You all really like her. And the public keeps saying, no, we don't. It's not that we hate her. It's just like we don't, there's nothing. No, it's, she's just, she's a nothing. She's a nobody. She's totally unimpressive. We're not interested. We're bored by her. Who is this person? Um, that's misinformation. When their propaganda and their brainwashing efforts don't work, it, that's misinformation, they say. And on top of that, when it comes to what she's actually saying, she, well, she has nothing to say of any substance whatsoever, and she has nothing to say to the voters about how she's going to help them, how she's going to make their lives better, how she's going to make them safer, more prosperous. She has nothing to say about that, and uh, that's why she's going to lose. Speaking of insulting the voters, I want to. There's a quick clip from uh, that I think I have from Joe Biden um, giving a speech a couple days ago, and here's how he started things off. Listen to this. I love those signs when I came in. Socialism. <laughs> Give me a break. What idiots? <laughs> Socialism. Great angle on uh, that angle is almost as flattering as the you know ominous blood red background that uh, they infamously did at the White House for his speech yelling at the uh, at the American people. And there we have him again. Just you couldn't have thought you couldn't you couldn't have come up with a better angry old man angle. And then he's calling just American citizens idiots. We, we've gotten used to that. And this is remember Joe Biden was sold as like the decent grandfatherly nice guy. Could have been further from the truth. And we've gotten used to this from him, but he's just insult. This is the president of the United States insulting American citizens who are exercising their free speech rights. And I guess we're supposed to just sort of uh, grow accustomed to that. Donald Trump. Okay, let's get to this. Uh, Donald Trump was supposed to be campaigning for Republicans in Pennsylvania. But he took the time during his campaign speech um, during his rally, rather, this is a rally, you know, we're supposed to, we're supposed to be rallying uh, Republican voters going into the midterms, right? And uh, but he took time during this speech to take a public shot for the first time at Ron DeSantis. If you haven't heard this, let's listen. Let's see, there it is, Trump at 71, Ron DeSanctimonious at 10%, Mike Pence at 7 Oh, Mike's doing better than I thought. Okay, so he's going down the, uh, the, the polling data to show that, you know, he's in the lead. And then he calls Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSanctimonious. A few things here. First of all, obviously, just an incredibly weak nickname. Um, he's going to have to do a lot better than that. 
you know, if he wants to take down Ron DeSantis, going in, going in, grabbing into the bag for uh, just a, throwing an insulting nickname at him. That, that might have been enough in 2016 to take down almost all of the Republican candidates. <laughs> there, were, there were 19 candidates and almost all of them could be taken down with just a silly nickname. Um, but this ain't 2016 anymore. And, uh, and also, Ron DeSantis is a different kind of candidate if he becomes a presidential candidate at all. And none of them officially are yet, of course. But he's a different kind of Republican, and you're not going to be able to take him down with a weak name, unique name, especially not one as weak as that. Uh, Ron DeSantis is an effective conservative governor, the most popular Republican governor in the country, um, one of the most effective Republicans we've seen in my lifetime, easily. I, I say one of, I would say probably the number one most effective. When it comes to actual policy changes, okay, getting policy wins and cultural wins, there has certainly never been a Republican governor in my lifetime as, as um, adept in those areas as Ron DeSantis. And so you're going to have to try a lot harder than that. Now, Trump fans on Twitter, they uh, took the cue. And they started trying to build their case against Ron DeSantis. And one thing that you're, that, that's floating around on Twitter a lot now is that uh, they're saying that, well, Ron DeSantis is an establishment guy. He's an establishment candidate because of some unsourced anonymous report about how the establishment is supposedly lining up behind Ron DeSantis. And there's these uh, anonymous sources saying Paul Ryan and Kevin McCarthy are you know, like scheming to get Ron DeSantis um, the nomination. Because apparently anonymous reports are trustworthy now. I mean, you got Trump supporters who rightly have spent six, seven years saying you can't trust anonymous sources. And they're right about that, especially mainstream media anonymous sources. And now they're passing them around as, as gospel truth. From the media, which is interested in starting a fight between Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump, and they especially want to do it before the midterms. And we're just taking that as, uh, as, as the truth, I guess. But also, by the way, when it comes to these uh, establishment guys, Donald Trump endorsed all of those guys. He endorsed Kevin McCarthy this year. He, he took the establishment and put them in his White House. He gave them jobs. He gave them more power. It's just a simple fact of the matter. He, there was, he did not drain the swamp. Didn't even start to. Didn't even come close. Didn't even try. Took these people and put them in the White House. Uh, you know, handed power over to Jared Kushner. COVID comes along, surrenders the whole country to Fauci. So that's what you're going to have to contend with. Just a, just a word of warning. As if, we, as if we do get into the primaries and we do have the DeSantis and Trump showdown, if your, if your narrative is going to be, well, DeSantis is an establishment guy, we've got four years of Trump that you're going to have to contend with. And we all remember that. Like, we're not stupid. We weren't in a coma. But why are we having this conversation right now is the question. We're, we're a couple of days before the midterms. We're supposed to be showing a united front. Ron DeSantis is on the ballot. He's going to win. But he is, a, he is a candidate, and Donald Trump is at a rally attacking him a couple days before the election? 
What, what's the strategy there exactly? And, you know, uh, the next day, uh, there were p- people on, on Twitter and on the right were making a big deal about the next day, Donald Trump, he's down in Florida giving a, a, a rally speech, and he came out in support of DeSantis. And he said, yeah, you got to vote for DeSantis. And so we're supposed to take that as, well, everything's fine. They, you know, it's, it's, it was okay. Now, it just makes it worse. So that just shows that, uh, that, that Trump throwing that dig at DeSantis, that wasn't part of some 4D chess overarching kind of brilliant strategy. He's just babbling. And so two days before the election, he throws a jab at Ron DeSantis, and then the next day is supporting him. This just typifies two of the biggest problems with Trump. One is that he just has, he has no discipline at all. He just says whatever comes to mind. There's, there's no strategy to it. He doesn't think about timing at all. And also, he's not interested in pursuing a goal beyond himself. Like the fact that fighting you know, as the most prominent Republican in the country, which is, which is Donald Trump, Starting a fight with the second most prominent two days before the election, that's going to hurt conservatives, going to hurt Republicans. It's going to help the Democrats, who are the opponent here. And Trump's, Trump's a smart guy. He knows that. He just doesn't care. He just does not care. And, and I don't consider that a, uh, a positive at all. And I know you might say, well, he's a fighter. He just he wants to get in the ring and fight. Being an effective fighter, it's like... You get into the, the, and I'm no boxer myself, so my ability to make boxing analogies is, you know, my, my, my boxing um, comparisons are going to dry up pretty quickly. But what I do know is that when you, when you get into the ring, you're not just going to start flailing your arms around at random. Oh, he's a fighter. Look at him. He's just punching everything. No, you're, you're not just flailing your arms around. It's got to be targeted. You gotta, it's all about timing and being targeted and smart. That's part of being an effective fighter is understanding timing. It's not enough to just go after someone. You got to think about who you're going after and when and why. Now, if DeSantis and Trump both want to be president, then we're going to get the DeSantis-Trump showdown. It's going to happen. And they're both going to get bruised in the, in the process. No, no question about it. That doesn't have to, have to happen right now. It doesn't help anyone for it to happen right now. In fact, you could save that. that. That inevitable period, which is going to be unfortunate in a lot of ways, because, again, both guys are going to get bruised in the process. It just, it's, it's, it's what it is. Politics, though. It's going to happen. No one's complaining about that. But you could save that. You know, you can, uh, when, the, the, the window of time when that's really happening, and these guys actually are throwing punches at each other, you, you, could, you, can, you can condense that window considerably. Starting now, before anyone has even announced the campaign, is just not a good sign. And, uh, and I don't know. You know, it's, it's too early to make primary predictions. Um, the smart money in a primary, assuming that Trump and DeSantis are both in it, the smart money is, of course, on Trump. And if I were a betting man, I, that's probably where I'd put my money at this point, in the primary. Um, and Trump obviously assumes that it'll be him too. But uh, I know we, we all might be surprised. Ron DeSantis is very popular. 
And I think his, his track record as governor is, again, it's a political problem for Trump because it was easy enough in 2016, even going up against uh, 19 of these guys, it was easy enough to paint many of, not all of them, but uh, a lot of them he could just paint as like, you know, ineffective establishment types who haven't done anything and they're just all talk and they haven't done anything. They have no accomplishments and all that. And it was true of a lot of them. But with DeSantis, it's not going to be that easy because he has real wins. You know, he's put, he's put points on the scoreboard and we've all seen that. Which also means that we're going to have more respect for him than we do for maybe some of these other guys. So you're not going to have as much leeway with the voters anyway, but we'll see. All right, uh, moving over to Elon Musk and uh, Twitter. So Elon Musk has put, there's a lot of people talking about today on on Twitter that Elon Musk has started banning left-wing accounts, left and right. And that's because a lot of the blue check marks on Twitter, they wanted to make a point because they're very upset about the idea that um, they're going to have to pay $8 a month for their blue check mark. And they're not upset about paying the $8. That's not it. They don't care about that. Um, A lot of them have more than enough money to pay $8. What they're upset about is the idea that anyone can now pay $8 and get the check mark too. So they're they're losing their, their elite status on Twitter. They're very upset about that. And so they were trying to make some point about the problem with, you know, just verifying anyone. So a bunch of left-wing accounts, including Kathy Griffin, they changed their, they had their blue check mark and they changed their name to Elon Musk and then posted a bunch of stuff trying to embarrass him. And he re- responded by banning all of them. So Kathy Griffin got banned and, uh, and a bunch of others too, temporarily suspended anyway, which, which is pretty funny. But then he also tweeted this, Elon Musk did, and I wasn't sure about this. He says, Twitter needs to become by far the most accurate source of information about the world. That's our mission. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. See, the jury's still out, as I've been saying. With, um, I think we can assume that Twitter will be in better hands with Elon Musk than it was before. But that, that's, that's easy enough to do. Um, you've got it's, a, it's an easy bar to get over. I'm quite sure that Elon Musk will get. He's already gotten over it, so that is that's cleared. But whether or not Twitter actually becomes this uh, public square where free speech speech reigns supreme in a a real way, well, that remains to be seen. We don't know yet. And then I read tweets like this from Elon Musk, and I'm I'm a little apprehensive. Because it seems to me that there are, you can either try to turn Twitter into the public square where free speech reigns supreme, or you can try to turn it into the most accurate source of, of information about the world. Seems like you can do either of those things, but you can't do both at the same time. It's either a place where you can go and share your ideas and your opinions and your perspective with everybody, um, essentially without limit, you know, unless you're committing actual crimes, you're defaming someone, death threats, that sort of thing, doxing someone. So it's pretty easy to see where the limits ought to be. So it could be that, which I think is what a lot of people are hoping for. Or it can be, as Elon Musk is saying now, a place where you go for the most accurate information about the world. And I've never gone to Twitter for that. I, I, that's, that's not why I'm on Twitter. I, I, I've never gone to social media for that. Um, but if that becomes the goal, then it seems like, well, you're going to have to crack down on speech considerably. 
In fact, you're going to have to keep doing what they've already been doing at Twitter, which ostensibly is the whole reason Elon Musk took over. Which is to say, well, you could say every, anything you want as long as it's accurate. And accurate as judged by our content moderators. So the content moderators will tell us what is true about the world. And, you know, they'll, they'll set up the parameters. Here are the things that are true. And you're allowed to say any of those things. Pick from the list. We'll give you a checklist of all the things that are, are true about the world. And you can say those all you want to your heart's content. You can post one of those true things 60 times an hour if you want. Hey, but that's not actually free speech, is it? No, I don't need, and, and I also don't need this in the reverse. Um, I wouldn't trust, now I, I would never trust Twitter's content moderators, and I don't care who's in charge of Twitter, but I would never trust the content moderators to actually police real misinformation. Okay, I would never trust them to do that. But even if I could trust them to do it, I still wouldn't want them to. Someone, you know, I posted about this and someone said, uh, well, no, this, this would be good. I mean, what if they, you know, trans propaganda is misinformation. And so what if they start cracking down on that as misinformation? Because it is. Well, that's not actually what I want. I, I don't need that. As long as there's no thumb on the scale, let the trans propagandists uh, go to Twitter and say everything they want. We can easily handle that. We can easily expose it for the misinformation that it is. If you take the thumb off the scale and if you let us confront this ideology directly and in plain language and say all the things that we need to be able to say, if you let us do that, then I'm not, then no, I don't need a content moderator to police that. We can do that easily. In fact, in a, in a, on a level playing field, in a fair fight, I want the trans propagandists there. I want the left-wing propaganda. I want them all there if it's a fair fight, right? Because, because then that gives us a chance to expose them for what they are. Now, you try to do this in the reverse and, uh, you know, moderate them out of existence, then even if you were to succeed, well, you've turned Twitter into like a right-wing echo chamber, essentially, and, uh, and we're not able to do with it what, what, what we should be able to do, which is to use it as a platform to... to engage with these other ideas and expose them for the nonsense that they are. So that makes me a little uncomfortable, but we will, uh, we will see. All right. This is from the Post Millennial. It says, on Sunday's episode of Meet the Press, host Chuck Todd told his audience to expect delays in the results from Tuesday's midterms, as many of the battleground states will not have their votes tallied until well past November 8th. Todd said, even though we're all counting down to Tuesday, let's be realistic. It's highly unlikely we will not know, or highly likely we will not know the full results of the midterms on election night. Todd then referenced the election of 2020 when many states did not have the results tallied over um, 80% during the night of the election, mostly because those states were still ca uh, counting ballots from early voting. Well, that's going to make people very comfortable, isn't it? That's going to allay any concerns by comparing it to the 2020 election. I oh, know it'll be totally be totally fine, you know, just like the 2020 election. It's gonna make people feel a lot better. This is why this is this is supposedly why anyway, uh, counting the ballots takes so long because you have all these early early ballots that come in. 
which is, yet again, the reason why, if you care about election integrity, we wouldn't be doing any of this. You go to the, you go to the, 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 uh, the polls on election day, and you cast your ballot, and that's it. And you know what? If you want to extend the time that the, uh, that the, uh, the ballots are open, you want to extend that time for people to go vote, but I'm fine with that as long as it's on the day. Now, as you know, personally for me, I think there are far too many people voting. So if it were up to me, I would make, I'd make, uh, the, the polls would be open maybe for like an hour. And if you really want to be there, you got to get there within that hour, get there early in line. So the people that, that most want to be, the, the most motivated voters would be there. I think that's a better strategy, but that's not going to happen. And if you want to go the other way and you want to open it for longer, that's fine as long as they're voting physically on the day and you count them on the day. That's the only way to ensure election integrity. All right, one other thing. So this went viral yesterday. SNL had a um, skit about COVID and we'll play a little bit of this, but uh, I don't know, maybe a little bit late, but let's watch. Are you feeling tired and worn down? Sick of the endless grind at work? Exhausted by your family, desperate for some peace and quiet? Daniel! Your kids want you! Then ask your doctor about COVID. By simply getting COVID, you're guaranteed a five and sometimes even 10-day vacation from all of life's problems. I needed a break, just some time away from everyone. So my doctor suggested I get COVID, and it was the greatest week of my life. All I wanted was to sit on the good part of the couch and watch the Netflix I want to watch. And I was finally able to, thanks to COVID. At first, I was worried about getting COVID, but my doctor assured me it's fine now. I'm triple vaxxed, quadruple if you count HPV. So it's my time to shine. Side effects of COVID include having COVID, which is still kind of bad, but doesn't it seem different now? I definitely got sick. <laughs> but I also got paid for 10 days to never leave a blanket. Plus, I got a great story I could tell people at work. It was like I had a bad cold for three days. Ooh. And of course I had to isolate from my three kids because I didn't want to get them sick. But uh, what do they eat? I gave it 14 days to be extra safe. So there's that. You know, it's, every time I see something like this, it just uh, it just frustrates me because that would have been that's that skit right there two years ago. That would have been edgy and uh, and offensive to a lot of people and hilarious, largely for that reason. But now. It's like they're, they're, coming, they're coming around to these jokes and these observations and everything that most of us noticed two years ago, and we're supposed to give them credit. And there are far too many people who are willing to give them that credit, being way too generous, I think. Uh, no, it's too, too late. I mean, what was SNL doing two years ago? Like, they didn't have a live audience. They didn't have, I think they, in fact, they shut down completely. I wasn't paying much attention, I admit, but uh, they weren't making jokes like that, I can tell you that. Wait until it's completely safe. That, I mean, that, that, that's comedy these days, right? That's what comedy has become. Wait until, it's, it, wait until the coast is clear, it's completely safe. You won't offend a single soul, and then make the joke. Doesn't work quite the same. Let's get to the comment section. Daily cancellations are the law. 
You know, if you're like me, you've probably got a ton of uh, old boxes sitting around filled with photos, film reels, and VHS tapes. You may not have looked at them in years because you no longer have the projector or the VCR to do so. Worse, they're wasting away in your dusty attic or moldy shed. You need to preserve those recorded moments so they can be safe forever and you have them forever. Trusted by over 1 million families, families, Legacy Box is the simplest and safest way to digitize all your aging tapes, film reels, and photos. Simply send everything in and they'll send everything back on a thumb drive, DVD, or cloud, digitally preserving your memories forever. Each kit includes everything you need to safely pack and send your records. Uh, Once complete, these irreplaceable moments can be easily viewed, shared, and passed on for future generations, for generations to come. Last year, I refused to fix my mother's VCR over Thanksgiving holiday, and to make up for this slight against my dear sweet mother, sweet Grandma Walsh, if you will, I got her legacy box so that she doesn't have to keep her old VCR around, and more importantly, I don't have to fix it because I don't know how to. Anyway, relive your most important memories this holiday for a limited time only. Take advantage of early access to Legacy Box best sale of the year. Visit LegacyBox.com Walsh to shop Legacy Box's Black Friday sale. That's LegacyBox.com Walsh for an irresistible deal. LegacyBox.com Walsh. Emery says, I practically dropped my phone and looked at my children with tears in my eyes when Roe was overturned too. Then I dropped to my knees and thank God that I was able to live to see the day when it happened. Yeah, we were making fun of that NBC show with their, uh, their opening montage of all these lefties learning that Roe was, was overturned and they were all uh, distraught and it was very funny. But at the same time, it is true, you know, it's, it's like there's nothing wrong. If, if, if Roe being overturned made you emotional, um, even if it made you tearful, I, nothing wrong with that. We talked about the, the appropriate times for a man to cry. All, I think there are, latest list, we were up to seven. I'll make that number eight. That's acceptable. But it should be tears of joy because, you know, this darkness has finally ended, at least partially. Tears of joy over the fact that millions of babies, though not every baby, will now be saved. That's a perfectly fine reason to get emotional. But getting emotional over the thought that your daughter one day will not be able to get pregnant and have an abortion is just uh, demented. All right. Gerard says, hilarious how the AP article says, it is somewhat startling that two cities that have high African-American populations, uh, there's not a single black player. Do they think the teams acquire their players by hosting citywide tryouts each year or something? Yeah, I missed that. I I did, and I, I felt bad that I... All the reasons to make fun of that AP article saying the World Series was racist because there are no U.S.-born black people. There were there are quote unquote people of color as the as the term is now used who were in the World Series, but uh, they were born in other countries, so they don't count. Is what the AP was saying. But a lot of reasons to make fun of that, and I missed that one. I don't know how I missed it, but but yeah, they 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 said it's even more startling in this case because the cities that are being represented have a lot of black people. And so why aren't there black people on the teams? Well, because they don't, they don't, it's, it's, they don't hire exclusively from the local pool of talent. In fact, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of rare on a professional sports team that you have someone on the team who actually grew up and lived in that city. Uh, Max says, what annoys me about saying a fetus is only a clump of cells? Don't they realize that we're all made up of a clump of cells? The difference is how many. My heart breaks for these little treasures. God help us. Yeah, exactly. You could, uh, 
you know, if you want to be a reductionist in that way, you could describe any human being that way. We're all clumps of, we're all, you know, we're all comprised of cells that are, if you like, clumped together. What does that have to do with anything? And as I have often pointed out, you know, we're talking about clumpiness. Uh, You could go out in public pretty much anywhere, go to the store, and you'll see lots of people that are a whole lot clumpier than your average infant, by the way. Um, John says, the when, when does life begin debate is a straw man. In their heart, they truly don't care. Human sacrifice in their head has been rationalized, and the debate is only a pretense. Uh, that's true for, for many of the pro-abortion people. That's correct. It doesn't actually matter when life begins. This is the premise behind the kind of shout your abortion movement. It's that um, you're shouting it. You're announcing your abortion. You're not explaining it. You're not defending it. You're not rationalizing. You're not, you're not making an argument for it. Okay? That's why the, it's not hashtag make an argument in favor of your abortion. It's hashtag shout your abortion uh, because you don't have to explain it. And it doesn't matter if, if the baby that was killed, it was, if it was a baby or a fetus or a lifeless clump of cells or whatever it was, doesn't matter because you have power over your body. You can do whatever you want. That is... That is, uh, I think, a morally horrific argument, but it is at least an honest argument that I think more and more pro-abortion people are starting to make. Um, Let's see. And finally, Cool Runnings says, man, today's show by Matt has me all over the place. The opening story was heart-wrenching. Disagree with the vote on election day only stuff. Found his take on Kamala and Fetterman hilarious. And back to disagreeing with his take on Luke Bryan non-apology, which he thought was an apology. Today was wild, kind of why I like this show. Never know what turn we'll take next from story to story. Keep it up, Daddy Matt. Well, I appreciate all of that. And that is, you know, it's like you don't have to agree with every single thing. And um, I do appreciate that. And I would like to just end it there. But unfortunately, by, by my count, Cool Runnings, you used four laughing, crying face emojis in this comment. And you should know better than that at this point. So you are, sad to say, banned from the show. You know, Tuesday is going to be a bloodbath, and I, for one, could not be more excited. And I'm inviting you to tune in and watch our special Daily Wire election night 2022. Election coverage starts at 3 p.m. Central. And then starting at 6 p.m., Ben Shapiro, Michael Knowles, Andrew Clavin, um, our God King with a lowercase g, Jeremy Boring, Candace Owens, and myself will be giving you live updates as the results come in with help from our Morning Wire crew. We'll also be mocking social media meltdowns that will surely be happening from the likes of AOC and so many others. And there will also be some very special guests joining us for commentary too. Daily Wire Election Night 2022 will be, will be uh, the gift that keeps on giving as we get into the holiday season and you don't want to miss a second of it. You're, if you're not yet a member, go to dailywire.com Walsh and join us today. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today, our daily cancellation may be accused of being a bit unfocused. I would blame it on ADHD, but I've already canceled ADHD multiple times during this same segment. The problem is that I wanted to dedicate the cancellation to the worst examples of Democrat cringe heading into Election Day. But the cringe just kept piling up one on top of another creating a sort of leaning tower of cringe, a mountain, you might even say, a cringe volcano spewing hot liquid cringe all over, the, all over the ground, sending particles of cringe into the air, threatening to blot out the sun and send us all into an eternal winter. So all I can do is, is go through this bit by bit now. Um, I have no overarching eloquent point to make, but then again, if you wanted eloquent points, you wouldn't be watching the show. 
to begin with. And so we just have to dive right in with this Get Out the Vote music video produced by a leftist pack called Midas Touch. You may recall from Greek mythology that King Midas turned everything he touched into gold. It's up to you whether this qualifies, but here it is. SCOTUS took away the right to control our bodies, then hid behind their fences. You know, it's actually kind of catchy. I mean, it's, it's, it's not good, but like by the standards of this sort of thing, I don't know. It's, it's, it's like an early 2000s era Vanessa Carlton without the vocal range or the songwriting ability morphed with Rebecca Black, which, which still is slightly better than what you would expect, but still not great. In summary, democracy was a mistake. There's a reason I identify as a theocratic fascist. And when I finally rise to power and take my rightful throne, my very first decree will be that all the get out the vote songs are banned, which I suppose will be somewhat redundant because voting will also be banned for the good of the country. But that's not the only form of musical cringe taking us into election day. In fact, somehow it gets worse. In the last week, signaling the um, ultimate form of desperation, various Democrat candidates have started recording dancing TikTok videos. Now, this shouldn't be as all that bad, you might think, because for all their faults, Democrats tend to be better dancers than Republicans. I have no data or research to back that up. It just seems intuitively true. And yet it's the worst dancers in the Democrat Party who are dancing their way into the midterms. Here's a very brief compilation. I'm looking for a yellow bone, long hair star, star. Thick and hips come get in my car. Hey, so you bagged him. I'm a savage. Yeah. Classy, bougie, ratchet. Yeah. Sassy, moody, hey. nasty. Hey. Yeah. Hacking, stupid. What was happening? What was happening? I'm a savage. Yeah. For a yellow bone, long hair star, star. Thick and hips come get in my car. Gretchen Whitmer probably fared the best of that group, I would say, though she still looks like your drunk aunt at the wedding reception. Unsurprisingly, uh, when Beto O'Rourke dances, he has the look of a man holding in a fart. Perhaps we should call that dance move the Swalwell. I don't know. Then there was Tim Ryan of Ohio, who dances like a, a little bit like a toddler at a Wiggles concert. And I know I promised that I wouldn't make any overarching points here, but, but if I were to make one, I would point out that the TikTok dances are a symptom of the total lack of seriousness and dignity among our political elite. The country's always had political elite, right? For better or worse, usually for worse. 
But at least there used to be a certain sense of decorum in that class, um, at least in front of the public. Now they all share the same vices of the political elite of any other age, except we have to add that they're desperate, undignified, you know, the desperate, undignified cringe factor has to be added to the list now. Speaking of which, Tim Ryan makes a second appearance in the cringe roundup with a video posted on Friday um, purporting to show off his skills at the shooting range or lack thereof. Here it is. Bad for Democrat. Not bad for a Democrat, he says. Amazingly, however, it actually is bad, even for a Democrat. The bar is extremely low when it comes to Democrats and firearms. After all, these are the people known to confuse earplugs with rubber bullets. Yet, Tim Ryan has managed to get under a bar that would be buried in the earth if it was, if it was set any lower. So let's just take a look at a freeze frame to assess his form on this. So he's got his knees locked, head down, Leaning back like he's anticipating recoil from like a 50 caliber machine gun. I taught my nine-year-old daughter how to shoot a BB gun, and her form was immediately better than this. In fact, if she had formed this bad, she'd be grounded for a week for bringing shame to our family. And this is to say nothing of the fact that he's standing 10 feet from the target and his grouping still looked like he was shooting blind and drunk from like 500 yards away. Keep in mind, too, that these are the best angles and shots they could find for him. They probably had him out there at the range for like several hours trying to get 15 seconds worth of usable footage, and this is what they had to run with. I mean, I would have run the footage right to the trash bin and moved on, but that's just me. It's somewhat confusing as to why they'd even put this video out, given how incredibly embarrassing it is for Tim Ryan, but then you realize that they have no respect for the voters they're pandering to. The assumption is that blue-collar voters in Ohio will be just impressed that he's shooting a gun and they'll vote for him on that basis alone. Look, he makes the gun go bang, bang. He's just like us. We should vote for him. That's the calculation they're expecting, which isn't surprising given that these are the same people who think that you just learned the word inflation three months ago. What they don't understand is that gun rights voters don't need to see you shooting guns. In fact, they'd rather not see you shoot guns if you shoot like that. What they want to know is that you respect their constitutional rights. That's what matters to them. But the common thread here is that Democrats do not understand the voters they're trying to pander to, much less do they like them or respect them. And that's just another reason why they're going to lose tomorrow and why they are today canceled a day ahead of time. That'll do it for this portion of the show as we move over to the members block. Hope to see you there. If not, talk to you tomorrow. Godspeed.